A strong community is one of Python's superpowers, and that's what this episode of Talk Python to Me is all about. It's PyLadies and Python Software Foundation with Lynn Root. Episode number 15, recorded Thursday, June 6, 2015. In many senses of the word, because I make these applications, but I also use these verbs to make this music. I construct it line by line, just like when I'm coding another software design. In both cases, it's about design patterns. Anyone can get the job done. It's the execution that matters. I have many interests. Sometimes it conflict my creativity. Hello, and welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python, the language, the libraries, the ecosystem, and the personalities. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy and keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at talkpythontome.com. This episode, we'll be talking to Lynn Root about PyLadies, Python Software Foundation, Python at Spotify, and the Python community at large. I'm really fortunate to have CodeChip and Hired sponsoring the show. Let me take just a few seconds to tell you about them. CodeShip is a platform for continuous integration and continuous delivery as a service. They encourage you to always keep shipping. Please take a moment and check them out at CodeShip.com or follow them on Twitter where they're at CodeShip. Hired wants to help you find your dream job. Hired is built specifically for developers looking for new opportunities. Check them out and get a very special offer at Hired.com slash TalkPython to me. And you'll find them on Twitter where they're at Hired underscore HQ. Before we get to the show, I have a quick piece of news for you. Thanks to everyone who backed my Talk Python to Me t-shirt Kickstarter. This week is the last week to join and get your shirt and promotional slot. Check it out at bit.ly slash Python shirt. Now, let's get right on to the interview with Lynn. Let me introduce Lynn. Lynn Root is an insomniatic software engineer for Spotify, the founder of the San Francisco chapter of PyLadies, a board member of the Python Software Foundation, and a member of the Django Software Foundation. Lynn, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about today, a, a bunch of different topics. And, you know, I've, I've read a little bit of what you've written online and checked out some of your talks, and you have a lot of interesting things going on. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm juggling a lot, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the context switching is hard sometimes, isn't it? Mm-hmm, it really is. <laughs> yeah, but I think in the end, it, it's worth it to be part of a, a lot of exciting things. So let me be one of the first podcasts to uh, <laughs> say congratulations on being reelected to the Python Software Foundation board. That, that happened just a couple of days ago, right? Right, right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, you must be excited. That's How long have you been on the board? Um, this will be my third year. So I've been on for the previous two years. Okay. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So I want to talk about that more, but let's let's start at the beginning. You've written a couple really cool articles about sort of your your path into engineering and into programming and into Python. You know, you're doing a lot of work to help other people walk that path and, and take that journey in their own way. And I think it's really interesting to maybe cover cover some of that or talk a little bit about it. Can you maybe tell us tell us how you got here? Sure, certainly. Um, so, so yeah, I actually have um, a business degree. Um, I went to Babson College in Massachusetts, um, and I graduated with like econ finance. But um, I don't, I don't know if you remember, but in like 2008, the economy kind of sucked, <laughs> and uh, that's the year I graduated in. <laughs> so, um, it was really, really kind of difficult to get um, get a, a decent job in finance. But um, 
um, in terms of decent, like paying. <laughs> um, so uh, I actually, I started working as a, a, an analyst for a small bank um, for a few years. Um, uh, the economy is still crappy, but um, I wanted to get my um, master's degree in financial engineering. And um, Berkeley um, here in California actually has a really um, good program, like a mass- one year master's of engineering or ma- financial engineering. And, uh, but in order to apply, you kind of had to like know how to code. Um, and me being a sort of a, a fresh graduate, um, and like thinking, oh, I could still like learn how to study. Right. Um, I just, dec- <laughs> how hard can to- it be? Come on. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I decided to, um, enroll in like a, a Harvard's extension program, um, just like their uh, intro to CS uh, class. And, um, so that was like the, um, fall of 2011. And, um, <laughs> let me tell you, C is really hard and I really sucked. Like I, I, um, I failed like a lot, all the midterms. Um, I, I was crying a lot <laughs> during the weekly homeworks <laughs> and, um, it, it was just, it was really tough. Were you wondering what you had gotten yourself into? Yeah, seriously. It was just like, I literally just like was hoping to get a passing grade just to like get this over and done with, um, uh, yeah, but like I, I couldn't. I, who would subject themselves to this kind of thing? <laughs> and um, but but oddly enough, towards the end of the um, semester, um, I saw some Python code. Um, and coming from C to Python, I was just like, I, wow! I like actually understand what's being written. I actually understand the logic. Like I can see what's going on here. So um, so I actually decided to do my final project um, for the course in Python. I made a little Django website app that, um, looking back now, is really crappy code, but um, it, it worked. And um, somehow um, I got like an A minus in the course, even though I failed both midterms. Um, That's amazing. <laughs> the, the professor must have thought, well, she's come a long way. Look what she built. You know, let's <laughs> yeah. just forget about, about those uh, bad midterms. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I, I I wonder if they ever question like the legitimacy of that code. Like, how could she come from this to that kind of thing? But like, I really wrote it. Like, I, I also wrote that crappy code. Um, but anyways, um, I found it a lot more um, satisfying to like stay up at like three a.m. trying to like debug like this Django app um, than like looking at Excel spreadsheets. You know, like eight hours a day, five days a week. So, so I. Um, basically decided that I wanted to continue to learn, um, but not pay Harvard another $2,000 for a course. Um, so, um, at the time I was in San Francisco, I still am in San San Francisco, but, um, at the time I, um, kind of approached, uh, women who code, um, the local meetup group here and see who else could like, would be interested in learning Python with me. Um, so, so I started like a study group, um, with other women and, um, kind of led projects. Basically I would do the project the week before and then sort of present it and we'd work through it together. That's really cool. And I think I recall from your article, there were quite a few uh, people there, right? It was like 40 women or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And That's to awesome. Be on- yeah. To be honest, I don't know if they came for like the free food at Dropbox or if they really want to know Python, but <laughs> it was awesome to see, like, to see them there. Um, and, and there's a lot of great interest in, in continuing on. Cause like I had only planned like, um, eight weeks, um, once a week. Um, and so that actually, um, it actually turned into like to pie ladies of San Francisco. I, I sort of stole those women, not really steal, but like you, you like help, they, they helped me build sort of pie ladies of San Francisco. And, um, 
um, from there, I was able to subject other people to <laughs> to wanting to learn how to code with me. Um, um, and I guess the rest is history. I, I sort of just kind of started talking about what I was doing, um, kind of uh, from the point of view of me being sort of selfish and like l- wanting to learn how to code with, with others with me. Um, but it sort of morphed into like getting women involved in coding um, and, and me speaking about that. And that really helped me like land my first engineering job. That's really cool. I, th- you know, I do a lot of training for my job as well. And I, I think this, pressure to put together a presentation to learn it well enough to like present it to others is a super powerful way to learn for yourself Mm -hmm. actually right yeah you better have the answer to the questions that you don't even think of right now right exactly (laughs) yeah yeah so you think that really helped you uh sort of gain the skills you needed um it definitely did at least like helped me like understand what was going on rather than just copying pasting code um, which is like not a really good way to learn how to code. Sure. I think that happens more in this industry than people really want to admit, to be honest. I agree. I, I mean, I, I fully admit that there are some like Stack Overflow posts that I just copied and pasted <laughs> and it just happened to work and, and went on from there. So yeah, I believe it happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think so. CodeShip is a hosted, continuous delivery service focused on speed, security, and customizability. You can set up continuous integration in a matter of seconds and automatically deploy when your tests have passed. CodeShip supports your GitHub and Bitbucket projects. You can get started with CodeShip's free plan today. Should you decide to go with a premium plan, TalkPython listeners can save 20% off any plan for the next three months by using the code TALKPYTHON, all caps, no spaces. Check them out at CodeShip.com and tell them thanks for sponsoring the show on Twitter where they're at CodeShip. When you're doing C++ or C, it was just really frustrating and just the simplicity of Python really resonated, huh? Definitely. Yeah. It's just like, oh, I can actually understand that you're defining a function and trying to do it, like mangle the data in this way and return this. Like I actually got that and me to be able to like, I, like a couple months later, I sort of finally understood like inheritance when I was digging through um, like Django, like source code. And I was like, well, well, this actually makes sense to me than like programming like a Sudoku board in C where I'm just have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, the pointers, the pointers to arrays, like yeah. yikes. Uh-huh, right. <laughs> Let's maybe uh, talk a little bit about PSF. Sure. I kind of know the mission statement of, <laughs> of PSF, and I know that there's a, a board, but can you maybe tell all the listeners kind of what is the Python Software Foundation and... And what kinds of things do they do to help help all of us? Sure, yeah. So uh, I, th- this question happens a lot, actually, and it's <laughs> maybe it's a, it's a telling sign that we need to do better PR about who we are. <laughs> but um, the PSF, um, the the legalese or like what we are about um, in formal sense is both protecting the trademark of the Python language and, and kind of like well, owning that and, and stuff like that, as well as furthering like the language of like becoming more widespread. And that essentially what it boils down to. Um, the PSF has like a, um, has the board um, with 11 directors 
and then has like a membership model. And there's a few different ways to be a member. But basically, um, the purpose of the PSF is to like make sure Python as a language can like remain a popular, widely used language and kind of get it everywhere. And and as a as a PSF board, we do a lot of um, both kind of just like answering simple questions like Can I use Python here? Can I represent the logo here? Like simple questions like that. We get a lot of like um, requests for um, like funding. Like, um, can you help th- with this? These like. Um, like food costs for this like a uh, python sprint or something like that we ha- we um we help a lot of workshops um especially like the like young coder workshops that um Katie and Barbara um have been doing um since 2012 i guess um and that is mostly based on like help getting like raspberry pis so that um uh, teenagers and young kids can like learn how to like program in Python and actually take home what they're doing. Uh, PSF sort of supports um, Python in, in, in that sort of way. And I, I guess that's as best uh, off the top of my head of, of describing the PSF. Yeah, uh. that's, re- that's really cool. And I think it's just good to raise everyone's awareness about that. It, it's nice right. to have a single organization or group that is kind of can answer like public questions and make decisions and and stuff like that around the publicity of Python and whatnot. Also heard that they were doing a lot to help promote the usage of Python three. I feel like the PSF is usually like throwing like the money at it. Like if someone, if someone requests like funding to help porting stuff, we're definitely 100% behind that. Um, I feel like the louder voices of, of supporting Python three is more like uh, Guido himself and, and some other uh, core devs. We personally, the PSF doesn't really outwardly like back like public statements, but we're definitely like since like Python three is the future. Um, we often get requests to help like funding like the the porting of something from two to three, like a really like established like library like um, like mailman or something like that. Right. Of course, um, I had Chris McDonough on the show. I think that was show three, mm-hmm. and he talked about. Um, that story with pyramid oh yeah the pyramid the pyramid web framework yeah mm-hmm. apparently he said i'm i was dragging my feet on converting it to python or you know supporting python 3 and the psf came along and helped out and said can we give you a nudge to make you go do this and he did yeah <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah that's really cool that's really cool so as a board member what what do you do there <laughs> um the board member um being a board member is um it varies on how much you much work you want to put in, um, and like we have um, we have monthly meetings or somewhat monthly meetings, um, regular meetings, um, and we vote on um, stuff like should we give money to this uh, these people or that or those folks. Um, that, that's actually a lot of our conversation is is deciding um, who to help out, um, as well as. Um, like, let's see, like sponsors, like who can we invite to be a sponsor? Who uh, is applying to be a sponsor? Things like PyCon and so on. Well, so th- that's actually, PyCon is like the only conference that is like directly supported by us. Um, but we just sort of um, have like a PyCon officer um, that's supposed to be like the liaison between the two um, like organizations. And um, we definitely like, like the a lot of the money comes out of, of the PSF and the sponsors of, of both the PSF and PyCon, um, but we definitely stay out of like the day to day logistics, the planning, and stuff like that. Sure, more high level. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, just trying to think of other other things. I just like it seems like every meeting we're voting on like five like new funding requests. <laughs> uh, but it's it's definitely like um, just to like help kind of guide like uh, the PSF. Like we recently started, somewhat recently, like past year or so, started this like working group model where it kind of helps um, like people who want to get involved in the PSF and aren't like board members themselves um, can still like really contribute to the PSF. Like um, we have um, a working group around like elections and how, like how to better the, like the process of elections. And, um, and the PSF's job is to sort of like recognize that working group and help provide the tools so that they can be successful. That's great. So if somebody out there is listening, they want to get involved, um, what kinds of things can they do and how do they go about that? Um, good question. Um, so, um, just to, to, to be a member, it's actually quite simple. Um, if it's just like python.org slash PSF slash membership. Um, and, and there's like different membership classes. Um, the, the most basic, um, the lowest tier one is, is called basic members where anyone can sign up. Um, however, um, in order to be able to like vote and stuff, um, you'll either have to like be like a contributor in terms of like code or like, um, sort of contributor in terms of like community, like a, a meetup organizer, like PyLadies organizer or something like that. Um, or you can like give money either as an individual or as a company yourself. Um, and, and that's like how you can like vote in terms of like, um, like the board and like who to accept as company sponsors, stuff like that. Um, and if you wanted to get like, if someone wanted to get involved beyond that, um, at least become a basic member and like join all the mailing lists that I can't even remember off the top of my head that, that are, huh? yeah, that are interesting to them. And, um, I, somewhere, somewhere on our uh, wiki, the wiki.python.org, um, is, um, a list of all of our working groups. Um, and, um, I'm sorry, I don't have the, uh, the, the link up right now. That's fine. But, we'll put it in the show notes. Oh, great. And, um, and that, that way they can like ping individual people of like who they want to like help out, like maybe like outreach and education or like, like sprint, like, um, com committee or the elections working group or, or something like that. Um, and, and you can get involved in that way. Just participate in the discussion as much or as little as one wants. Um, and then, yeah, we have a pretty active, um, PSF members list. Um, and, and that's also a good place to kind of have your ear to the ground and know what's going on. Okay. Yeah. That sounds really great. Basically the starting points go become a basic member and then go from there, which is, it's just a matter of creating an account more or less. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, we have like, there's information like everywhere and I, I'll be the first one to, um, say, or like to agree that it's really poorly laid out, like where to find what information in like what could you be interested in? Like, I don't even know kind of thing. Is it like a new member or something like that? So it's definitely really hard to kind of like figure out where to go and stuff, but becoming a basic member and joining like the PSF members list is definitely like step one. And then you can ask as many questions as you want from there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's really helpful. Thanks. Mm -hmm. This episode is brought to you by Hired. Hired is a two-sided, curated marketplace that connects the world's knowledge workers to the best opportunities. Each offer you receive has salary and equity presented right up front, and you can view the offers to accept or reject them before you even talk to the company. Typically, 
Candidates receive five or more offers in just the first week, and there are no obligations, ever. Sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? Well, did I mention there's a signing bonus? Everyone who accepts a job from Hired gets a $2,000 signing bonus. And as Talk Python listeners, it gets way sweeter. Use the link hired.com slash talkpython to me, and Hired will double the signing bonus to $4,000. Opportunities knocking. Visit hired.com slash talkpython to me and answer the call. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about is PyLadies. And it sounds like PyLadies is sort of what became of your your study group that you started. Right, yeah. Yeah. And I'm really surprised. You said that it didn't exist in San Francisco, but it did in LA. And you're like, why is this thing not in San Francisco, right? Exactly, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the whole reason I have this podcast. I went looking for a Python podcast. I'm like, why is there no Python podcast? What happened to them all? Well... I guess if you know if, if you really want something, you you might have to make it yourself sometimes, right? So you, you exactly, started, yeah. So you started PyLadies. That's awesome. How long has that been going on, actually? Um, so the San Francisco PyLadies has been around since April 2012, so a little over three years, I guess. My math correct? And um, the actual like the first PyLadies in LA started sometime in the fall of 2011. I, I don't know exactly when. Um, so so it's pretty established in terms of like communities and like uh, yeah <laughs> sure I'm, it's a little regional because this is a international show but for those listeners in san francisco where do you guys meet oh like um it varies i mean tonight we have a, a meetup and we're um um going to like the uber office down um, downtown um but a lot of um we have a lot of weekly meetups like study groups that like um go to like the linkedin offices down in south bay or um, Rackspace slash, like, Geekdom up here in San Francisco area. Um, but, I mean, we have so many locations um, worldwide, and a lot of times it's just, like, regular meetups at a co- lo- local coffee shop or something like that. So Yeah, so if I wanted to see if uh, my local city, like, I live in Portland, Oregon, I wanted to know, hey, is there one in Portland? I think there is, actually. There definitely is. <laughs> yeah, how would I find out about it? Certainly. Yeah. It's, um, if you just go like pyladies.com, we have like a locations page. Um, and we have a list of all like locations. Um, there's some that aren't up there, uh, because in order to like have like your location up there, you have to do like a pull request on GitHub. And sometimes it's just too much for people to like do or, or too little of like, um, a task item to like remember. <laughs> so like, that's not a, a complete list. Um, but it's, um, it's definitely a, a very good uh, place to start. Now, if you, uh, if you find out that you, there, there is no pilates that like locally, you can more, you're more than welcome to start one kind of like how I did myself and how you did your podcast. Um, there, there's a nice little jumping off point, um, kit.pilates.com. Oh, nice. That's a, uh, yeah. That's our like starter kit of like how to bring pilates to like your location if you want it. Cool. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, I, I think it's really great that you're promoting more diversity in general and specifically about women in programming. You know, I have three daughters <laughs> and, you know, I would like to see a world where they are excited about these kinds of things and feel like it's a welcoming place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. I, I don't know what it is about Python, but it seems like it has a better story in terms of diversity compared to other languages. I would agree with that. Yes. Um, 
Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I have no idea why this is the case, but I do a lot of training and I'll do training with like, like classes like MongoDB or, or C Sharp or uh, other things, uh, JavaScript and so on, and in Python, of course. And it seems like the Python classes just have a whole, a whole different population that just seems to represent society more correctly than, than the other stuff, which, which is really nice, but I don't really know why. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I started to like hypothesize this myself, um, at least comparing with like other like communities, not necessarily like C, but like, like Ruby or Java or node, whatever, um, that it really helps to have like sort of leadership of the community kind of really like buy in, um, it, it really helps us that like Guido himself is really passionate. Um, he was actually the first, um, one of the first speakers that I had at, um, like my women who code study group. To, oh, wow. Like, help. That's excellent. Yeah, I know. So he's like 100% behind this, these sorts of efforts. Um, and, and it's very convenient that he lives in the Bay area for me. Right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> but, that's cool. He, he had a really nice presentation that sort of touched on this at PyCon 2015 as well. Right. Yeah. He, um, he asks, or he wants, he wants basically, um, like women as core developers. Cause currently there are none. And he, I think he was like, he's like, I'll help mentor folks or help mentor women to, to be a core developer. And, um, you know, I think that's like really awesome. And I'm, I'm actually, I have like a pretty good idea for a meetup here locally since he, <laughs> since he's like down the street practically, um, to sort of help, um, kind of get involved in committing to, to C Python. But yeah, it really, it definitely helps when like leadership like him and the PSF organization itself kind of set the tone of why it's important and, and people sort of just follow. Um, of course, you know, there's always descending voices um, in any community, in any stance, but um, it really helps to, to see that like when leadership says that this is important, people will feel more, um, more willing to like help out or to like just be proactive about something. So I think that that's the difference between like the Python community and other communities. I agree. I, you know, there's probably a lot of people on these types of issues that are like sort of just sitting on the couch, like, uh, I'd like to do something about it, but whatever, you know, right. those, those little nudges might be enough to actually make a change. Right. Exactly. Another thing I'd like to talk about is a project that you're involved with called new coder at newcoder.io. Right. Yes. <laughs> What's the story with that? That looks cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, so this was, um, so I wrote this a couple years ago, um, 2012, I believe is when I first released it. Um, and it's basically, um, taking, no, it's 2013, I think. I'm basically taking all these sort of projects that I subjected to the people that came to my study group and, and made it in like written form. So like, um, not just like San Francisco pilates can use them, but like everyone who want, who's wanting to learn Python, wanting to learn how to code can, can reach. So, um, the, the premise of this is like, say you, um, you know, did learn Python the hard way or dive into Python or some other sort of workbook, uh, like, like sort of goes through the syntax and, and a little bit of like logic of Python and you're like, all right, what next? What can, like, I'm not going to get hired right now. Mm. <laughs> so, um, what can I actually do? So, um, with new coder is, is there, it's five different, um, tutorials and, um, it sort of, um, it definitely graduates in sort of, um, difficulty. Um, but, um, there's no real order. You can like choose whatever order that you want, but, um, it, 
the it's meant to teach the the new coder um, like various things at various points in times with certain noob friendly language um, and like asides like you might not know this term like or you might not understand what a class is or inheritance is so here's where you can read more information or or here's a little blurb that you can just go ahead and skip if you actually do understand this kind of thing right um, that's really cool yeah. and I think one of the challenges people have especially when you're a beginner is to put meaning behind the thing you're struggling with. So for example, if if you're like having a really hard time with a for loop, foreign loop, or you're having a hard time with like if statements or functions, those are all mm-hmm. so small building blocks that they're not interesting in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. But if but if you can see like, okay, if I force myself to learn these little kind of trivial not trivial, but you know, sort of fact-based things that I have to just memorize or understand, I can do something awesome on the other side of that. And I think these projects are the key to like making that, shortening that cycle, I guess. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's definitely something I was trying to go for um, with that. Um, but yeah, I've got I've gotten a lot of good feedback from people just like sending emails saying, you know, like, this is exactly what folks needed. Um, and, and like, I find that when I lead workshops, explaining these sorts of things in the way that I, I've written down in New Coder, it, it helps people kind of like like have those light bulb moments, which are, are really needed, especially when you're a New Coder, because there are a lot of frustrating moments. And to have like a little light bulb moment is really reassuring. And then to have and then to have something at the end of the tutorial that you can show off to someone else, that's also rewarding rather than like some simple exercise from like when Python the hard way. You're like, yay, I did a for loop. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you have a tutorial with like, you know, um, data visualization, like from um, Matplotlib or something, it can actually show that to someone. Yeah, I think that that serves a lot of purposes. You know, I read somewhere, uh, somebody had studied a bunch of entrepreneurs and, and people in Silicon Valley that, that became successful. And they said, it seems like by studying these people, we it's not necessarily the case that the people who succeed versus the people who fail are the ones who are the smartest it seems like the the most important skill is persistence. The ones who just mm-hmm. keep trying until they find their way through these these types of things that you have to power through when you're you're getting started on stuff and you know more complex as you start companies and, and so on. It seems to be the most important skill. Right. Right. Yes. Definitely. And, and I, I think tutorials and like concrete examples and stuff make it easier to be persistent because you see what's down the tunnel. You're not like, oh, I hate programming. It's all these little facts. It's like it's kind of like learning math in the mm-hmm. early days when, when nobody connects any dots for you. Right, exactly. Yeah. Cool. So you have five uh, tutorials up there now. You've got data visualization, APIs, networks, web scraping, and uh, GUI stuff, mm-hmm. right? Right, yes. <laughs> yeah, so those are fun. And people, if they're they're getting started or they want something more practical than just language stuff to, to play around with, or they need to recommend a resource for someone else, more likely, if they're listening to this podcast, then, you know, check out newcoder.io and, you know, pass it around. Thanks for the plug. Yeah, 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 you bet. No problem. That's really cool. Um, You also have some open source projects that you're working on connected to your work at Spotify, right? Right. Yes. Do you want to talk a little bit about those? Yeah, uh, I'd love to. Um, so um, conveniently, actually, this week right now um, is our, our hack week. Um, about twice a year, Spotify holds hack weeks to just kind of hack on what you want, not necessarily like Spotify, but it could be Spotify related. Um, and 
a year ago, I actually um, hacked together a prototype um, is, is a Flask app um, that um, was, it's like a playground for APIs. Um, if you go to developer.spotify.com slash web dash API, um, there's a console linked there and you can actually play um, with our APIs via the console to kind of figure out what goes on, what kind of responses you'll get, what kind of queries that we accept, that kind of stuff. It, I mean, it was pretty awesome because, like, it came out of a hack week. Everyone sort of, like, understood why it was important because um, I hated answering sort of the same questions over and over again. How do I use your API? So I built this. <laughs> and um, it, I guess, it, like, a lot of people loved it that we just sort of put it out there. And it's been really successful. And from that, um, I've, uh, I've, I'm open sourcing the technology behind that. And the first thing that I open source, uh, which was just a couple weeks ago, is um, a RAML parser. And the actual library name is called Ramlifications. Good um, name. <laughs> yeah, I love punny names. Um, <laughs> but um, RAML is like it stands for REST API Markup Language, and um, it's like YAML, and it's basically um, a way for you to kind of define how an API is, um, like. We have a Spotify API defined in RAML, and you can see the title is like web API and like the base URL, the version, like the endpoints, if it accepts like OAuth or, or something else, that kind of stuff. So it's a really like great like source, like end all be all source for uh, a web API. And so the ramifications, like it parses that into like Python like objects. Um, and then this week I'm taking that and um writing uh, like a static um, documentation generator, um, just making like HTML files that you can like, like host anywhere um, that creates documentation off of RAML. So um, if you have your uh, API, your REST API defined in RAML and like you've written like all the docs in there kind of thing, you can just, you know, run it through this new project that hopefully will be open source soon and um, you'll have some nice HTML files. And then from there, um, this is like the in-between step, I'll actually like open source the, the console itself so that um, so folks can make their own sort of website um, for how to interact with, um, with their own um, API. Yeah, that's really neat. I, I think those are a cool set of projects that all kind of work together. Um, a lot of times you'll end up with these, you know, just basically static documentation around around people's APIs. And then, you know, if it doesn't quite work like the way you're interpreting what they have written or, you know, if, if it changes and the API documentation comes, becomes out of date, it's super frustrating, right? Mm -hmm. And you end up right. writing these little, little apps to just like call the API and spit it out to go, okay, this is what I'm actually getting. What does it look like? And, and your, um, your web API console is just like, let's skip that and you can just check it right here. Right, exactly. Yeah, and some people are just more visual or more interactive rather than reading through documentation. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's never really, like, inspiring to read through documentation. <laughs> I, I <laughs> right. think it kind of goes back to that persistence thing. Like, am I willing to power through this so I can have a cool app that uses Spotify? Or, or am I going to stop because the documentation is, is too much, right? But luckily, you're solving that problem. Have you noticed any um, change in, like, the adoption of the API? Or how long has it been out? It's not... Um, I think it's been out um, at least six months or okay, so. Okay, so maybe enough um, that it could possibly have some sort of effect you could see. Right. Um, I'm going to be honest that I don't pay attention to our usage, um, web API usage, but I do know that like the site, the, the console itself gets um, maybe like uh, low tens of thousands of views a month. 
So it is being used. And um, yeah, it's definitely an internal favorite too. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm like, oh, I want to test our own API. Let me go have a look. I forgot what this does, right? That I'm sure this happens. <laughs> yeah. Or hey, you're <laughs> yeah. new here. Go here first. Go check this out. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. So it sounds like these projects are, are really closely tied to what you're doing at Spotify. And they're all in Python. What's the story with Python at Spotify? Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, it's actually kind of a sad story. <laughs> um, so, um, so what I, my team and what I do, um, I'm back an engineer for, uh, with the five other developers and we, we do like strategic integrations. Um, we're based in San Francisco. So like a lot of the integration projects is with other local San Francisco, like companies. Um, for instance, the, um, the recent Spotify and Uber integration where you can like listen to music during your ride um, through the car speakers. Like that was um, like us. That was our team that did that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So it, it was really awesome, really fun. And um, so we, we do stuff like that. Um, and in some cases um, stuff is written in Python, but more often than not, it's now being like written in Java. The reason is, is we kind of like, um, and kind of had this like corporate like mandate um, maybe about a year ago that we're kind of writing new services that um, have end user like facing like capabilities or like whatever they have to be like written in Java um, and um, it's because that um, I know a lot of people will say well wait Spotify is like I/O bound not CPU bound why the move and it's true that we are I/O bound um, and it, however there's a lot of issues when trying to run like, um, I don't know, like 23 like, um, processes of the same service on one machine, trying to connect to the same Postgres database and memcache and, and stuff like that. So there's a lot of orchestration that gets complicated when, when you have multiple like uh, Python processes running on one server. So, um, and believe me, I've tried, I've had many arguments. I've, I've like sat down with our senior architect and really try to like go for Python and maybe PyPy or something like that. But, um, in the end, I, I kind of like lost the argument. But, um, so, so a lot of us, a lot of our end user facing stuff, um, like the web API is, is written in Java. Um, however, there's a lot of other stuff written in Python. Um, for instance, um, let's see. All, all of our analytics stuff is 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 in Python. Um, we we have Hadoop, um, and we can run stuff with Java. But a lot of a lot of the actual jobs are written in in Python. Um, and then we like we have um, let's see, like our DNS sort of service discovery system is written in Python. However, I think that's starting to move too. <laughs> um, uh, our payment system in Python. Um, content management, where like the um, the uh, labels that, that actually give us the music that they'll, they'll dump a lot of metadata and songs itself um, to us, like FTP or something like some stupid, like stupid <laughs> like that. And, and we process all of that in Python because it's like not really uh, end user or speed. Like, yeah, you're not concerned about shaving that 5% performance off or whatever. Right. Right. Exactly. So there, there is a lot of Python within, within Spotify. It's just like not what, it's not at, not at the center. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds really interesting. Um, just, you were saying like some of the thoughts about like running a bunch of processes on this machine and on the trouble, you know, maybe you guys could try, um, some, some tricks with Docker. This could be a possibility. We actually, we tried that. 
we're actually using Docker. Um, we're, we're migrating towards Docker. We have um, open source Helios, which is our Docker manager oh, nice. or something like that. And um, that will also, that is supposedly in a lot of Pythonistas' eyes, will allow us to be okay with like running our services in Python. Um, but it's still in the very early stages of like what Docker and Helios can do. Okay, that's really excellent. That's at um, github.com slash Spotify slash Helios. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Very nice. Yeah. And then have you guys thought about Jython? Like if, if you're so into Java? <laughs> yeah, I actually don't know. Um, it, um, what our senior architect feels about that? Um, I don't like. I've actually never played with like within a Jython, um, but it's definitely something to go the uh, direction to, to look into. Sure, I know some of the other major companies around there are are using it, but I probably shouldn't talk about it since I'm not sure if I'm supposed to, <laughs> if I'm allowed to. <laughs> but yeah, I, right. I, there's definitely some large like high end web companies out there doing doing cool stuff with Jython. For a while, I thought it was dead. It seemed like it hadn't been updated in a long time. It was like supported like Python 2.5 or something. And finally, I think it now supports 2.7, but it still doesn't right. support 3 as far as I know. Mm-hmm, right. I, um, a couple of years, or maybe like a year and a half ago, um, we had one of the like core developers of Jython come speak at PyLadies. And, and he was like, we just released 2.7, and now we can start 3. So that there is energy and people behind it. It's just like not enough sure. people. I'm sure it's a massive project, and if it doesn't have a lot of support, yeah. then it's really hard to keep up. Definitely. But yeah, it's, I'm glad to see it going because I know it enables some people to do cool stuff, which is which is all good. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> so another thing that you like to do is uh, speaking at conferences and user groups and meetups and stuff, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I saw you have a, a page with a whole bunch of sessions, like. I don't know, just a quick scroll count is like 15 or something, but quite a few at roguelin.com slash talks. Mm-hmm. Are there some of your favorites up there that you want to like point out to people, maybe have videos or something? Right. Um, as an aside, a side note, um, I literally just like over the weekend redid my site and I only redid it for like the words part, like the, the blog part. So uh, I apologize if like people are going to like roguelin.com slash talks and be like, ew, this looks ugly. Like whatever, like I'll, I'll get Let's there. Say it looks minimalist, huh? <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like actually one of my favorite talks, um, to give is, is how to spy with Python. And, um, it's, it's, um, basically like working with Scapy, the, the, the project Scapy, and to basically sniff, um, like wireless traffic. It's a, it's a Python wrapper around TCP dump. And, um, uh, it's really fun to show people what you can do, um, because that's basically what the NSA is doing. And like my, it's a tongue in cheek way to like show people like what's going on and like a international global level of like privacy issues. But, um, but Scapey is a lot of fun to play with and <laughs> it's one of my favorite talks to give. Yeah. That sounds really cool. Yeah. It's, I, I recommend <laughs> people check it out and some of these are on YouTube and other places or Vimeo, whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I try to link to everything. Um, I should probably update some <laughs> of this stuff too. <laughs> well, if, you're, if the page is in for a refresh, maybe, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> cool. Um, I'll put some of those in the show notes as well, and I'll link to that, of course. I think that just about covers all the stuff that I wanted to, to talk to you about, and I, I think it's a whole bunch of interesting paths. Like you said, there's a little, a little scattered, but they're all, they're all super interesting. And so if people are out there with, like, meetups or user groups, can they, you know, do you recommend they go to New Coder and try some of your, your tutorials, maybe make those, like, workshops or sessions or something there? 
Yes, definitely. Um, I have a couple of them. Um, if you go to New Coder, I think just slash workshops that there's there's like PF, PDF versions um, of, of everything. They do need to be updated since my last site refresh, um, but everything's also on GitHub. And please feel free to like take them, adapt them however you want um, and, and teach off them. Um, a lot of PyLadies um, leaders actually take a couple of tutorials to, to lead their own workshops. So by all means. <laughs> You know, I've done some stuff with Hour of Code and so on, and it, it seems really daunting to lead those types of groups and, and put something together for people to really appreciate. But if you can grab a resource like that, or, you know, in the case of Hour mm-hmm. of Code, some of the little uh, tutorials and stuff they have online, it makes it so much easier to get involved and help out in the community. So Right, definitely. There's one more thing for, for people to – one. How, let's say it this way. There's one fewer excuse for people to use. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else you want to talk about while you're here? Let people know about? Well, um, I'll be at EuroPython. So if anyone else is going to EuroPython, come to say hi. I'm giving a couple talks there. but um, oh, That'll be excellent. What are the talks? Um, one is one that I actually just gave this weekend. It's about um, how my team is doing metrics and how we're like it's it's metrics driven development, how we're powering sort of the data that we are newly collecting behind like the sort of the decisions that we're making and and the talk is about um kind of taking what we learned and like you don't need to necessarily measure everything but like what do you need to measure and how do you um, decide that and then um another uh, the other talk that um i'll be giving is basically kind of sort of like a status update slash what we still need to do about like diversity in python we've come a long way but there's still a lot a long way to go um, to really sort of create a welcoming environment for everyone. Um, and since Python community is, is a leader, we should, in that sort of thing, we should definitely continue to be a leader in, in being very diverse and welcoming. So, Yeah, I totally agree. And it, it seems like that's still a really positive thing going on there. It just It's just not done. Right, right, yeah. All right, so one of the, the questions I like to ask my guests before we wrap up a show is, what's your favorite PyPI package or thing out there that you'd like to tell everyone, hey, check this out, it's really cool? Ramifications, of course, and? Right, yeah. <laughs> but besides um, something else, what I've written, um, one of my favorite packages that kind of was released um, a few um, a weeks ago um, was uh, Adders, um, A-T-T-R-S, and it's... Um, it's basically a package that allows you to like not have to write a bunch of boilerplate code. Like what? Give us an example. Um, so actually, I use it in ramifications. Um, it allows, um, the, like, adders allows you to um, kind of like make make a nice class and like set some attributes of like this should be in the init method or should be in the wrapper um, like method, um, and allows you to do like some like. A, like comparisons, like a complete set of comparisons. It's just, it makes like writing code even easier, even more simpler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Very cool. Like default values and things like that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Oh, very nice. Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes and uh, they've got some good documentation as well. Yes, definitely. And yeah, Ramifications definitely uses it. And I like so much more code was written without it. <laughs> really nice. Really nice. <laughs> All right. Final, uh, final question before you go. What's, what editor are you using these days? I use Sublime. Sublime. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like Sublime as well. It's 
I do too. My coworker is trying to get me to use like PyCharm or IntelliJ, but I mean, every time I try, I just get sad. So I just <laughs> move back <laughs> to Sublime. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've, I use Sublime for a lot of things. I, I'm a big fan of PyCharm myself as well, but, but I certainly, you know, a close second is Sublime for, for many things. It's de- mm-hmm. definitely nice. Right. All right, Lynn, thank you for being on the show. It's been super interesting to touch on all these topics. Yes, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, great. And we'll put links to like your website and your Twitter and everything in the show notes so people can just go to the website and and find you that way. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks, bye. This has been another episode of Talk Python to Me. Today's guest was Lynn Root, and this episode has been sponsored by Codeship and Hired. Thanks, guys, for supporting the show. Check out Codeship at codeship.com and thank them on Twitter via at Codeship. Don't forget the discount code for listeners. It's easy. Talk Python, all caps, no spaces. Hired wants to help you find your next big thing. Visit hired.com slash talk Python to me to get five or more offers with a salary and equity presented right up front. You'll also get a special listener signing bonus of $4,000. There are just two more days to get the Talk Python to me t-shirt. Quick, go to bit.ly slash Python shirt and reserve yours before the Kickstarter closes on Thursday. You can find the links from the show at talkpythontome.com slash episodes slash show slash 15. And before you go, be sure to subscribe to the show. Open your favorite podcatcher and search for Python. We should be right at the top. You can also find the iTunes and direct RSS feeds in the footer on the website. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thanks for listening. Smix, take us out of here. Stating with my voice, there's no norm that I can feel within. Haven't been sleeping, I've been using lots of rest. I'll pass the mic back to who rocked it best.